You know, on Sunday nights, we have been on that grand journey of uh, observing God's grand design, and it is, it's breathtaking. And so I wanted you to see that trailer because tonight is the last night. So if you've not been able to make it any of the other nights, I just want you to know we'll be here tonight at 6, and we'll see the last segment in that series. It's been fantastic. It's going to be in the church library after we finish, and so you can fight over who gets it first. No, I'm kidding. But anyway, it's been a blessing. I want you to know if you're here today, your life is no accident. God's got a plan. He's got a plan for you. He loves you. You're very precious and valuable to him. You're no accident, and it's not random. And so God is uh, wanting to connect with you today through his word. I would like to invite you to turn with me to the New Testament. It's the first book in the New Testament. It's called Matthew, Matthew's Gospel. We've just been going through Matthew's Gospel, and uh, we've hit every chapter. I appreciate so much uh, Josh Shell, my associate, uh, covering for me the last two Sundays so that I could enjoy time in Tennessee. It was great to have a break and now to come back and be able to pick up. But in Matthew, I feel that what God is saying, he's calling us to follow him as a disciple. You know, those of us that are here, members of First Baptist Church in Columbus, I want you to know we're not saying we're perfect. All we're saying is we're following the perfect one. We're following Christ. And so as we follow him, it's amazing what we learn on the journey of just following him. Do you realize that before the Lord chose the nation of Israel and before he formed the church, he instituted the family? Do you realize that if you're here with a husband or a wife, if you're here with your parents, if you're here with children or grandchildren, do you know that God is a part of your family? He's the one who blessed you with those that are in your family. Marriage is significant to God. I think that marriage portrays God's love. Whenever you can see a marriage that's functioning the way it should, then what you're looking at is God's design. You're looking at God's glory. Of course, because in this fallen world, we sometimes rebel against God, we choose lesser things than what God wants, our world is filled with brokenness and it distorts what God's original intention was. And so that's why the CDC says that in 2018, there were 782,038 marriages that ended in divorce. And if you have been through divorce, we're not going to condemn you during this service. I want to ask God to bring healing, to bring restoration, to minister to your heart as we go through this time. I want to hold the standard high because there are younger generations who are beginning to ask questions about marriage. And they're saying, is it really worth it to even get married? You know, Business Insider wrote an article that I read this week that said every 13 seconds, there's a divorce somewhere across the United States. A law firm in Phoenix, Arizona published some reasons why some of their clients chose to end their marriage. It was things like lack of commitment, arguing, pornography, infidelity, unreal expectations, they were unprepared for marriage, domestic violence. There's so many different things. But what I want to do today, I want us to look at God's word. I want us to go back to the owner's manual and say, what's the truth? Lord, show us what we need to do in terms of marriage. And how can we as followers of Christ follow you in the way we uh, relate to our spouse? 
Like I said earlier, the younger generation is asking, should we tie the knot or not? And so we need to have a clear answer. I just want you to know if you're going to ask me that question, I've been married for 35 years. And the answer is yes, yes, if you find the one God wants you to marry, by all means do marry. Because out of 35 years, it's wonderful. It does take work, but it's so wonderful and so sweet. It's so worth it. Some of you may be wondering, where did that even come from, tie the knot? Well, I did a little bit of research on that, and I found it came from Scotland. It originated there with a Celtic tradition of hand fastening, hand fastening back in the Middle Ages. Now, of course, we're talking this is before the unity candle. This is before unity cross and unity sand. This is what they did during the service. They would kind of tie the uh, hands of the couple together. You know, I read a poem about it, and here's what they said. Upon this day, our hands we bind, a symbol of our hearts entwined. To witness this, we ask of thee, our union forever blessed be. You know, Ecclesiastes 4 verse 12 says that, And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. The mention of a cord when it comes to two hearts uniting together. I think that Jesus would agree with that whenever he said in Matthew 19, verses 1 through 12, what his thoughts were about marriage. It speaks of how we can honor him in our marriage as we follow him. So I want to invite you to Find a copy of God's Word. There's one in the pew if you don't have one. Otherwise, just look up on the screen, and you can clearly uh, see the Scripture as I read it through. This is from the ESV uh, translation. Would you stand in honor of God's Word? Let me read from verse 1 down through verse 12. Now, when Jesus had finished these sayings, he went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. And large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. And Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? And he answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother, and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they're no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. They said to him, Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? And he said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. And the disciples said to him, If such is the case of a man with his wife, it's better not to marry. But he said to them, Not everyone can receive this saying but only those to whom it is given. For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs 
who have been made who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of God. Let the one who is able to receive this receive it. Let's go to the Father in prayer. Oh Lord, I realize that this is a sensitive topic. My intention is not to hurt anyone. My intention is to tell us exactly the truth from your word. I pray that you would minister and give grace to everyone here. I pray that you would help us to be drawn to your original plan. But Lord, I want to really lift marriage up to the place that you lifted it. It's very, very special. Thank you so much for blessing me and blessing so many others with marriage. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. It's a little bit like a home video, not of a wedding ceremony, but rather of a biblical marriage. So I want to give you five quick scenes from this passage. You can follow along in God's word. First, I want you to look with me closely at the first three verses. A distortion of marriage. You know, it's common for some things during a wedding not to go according to plan. Have you ever seen that happen? I know when Jody and I stood right down here, no joke, we stood right down here, and it was time for our ring bearer to come in. His mom was back there with him, and he said to his mom, I'm not going. And his mom said, you got to go. You've got the rings. He said, I'm not. So anyway, she promised him some bubble gum, and we worked it all out. But whenever our daughter, Elisa, got married, it was a different problem. It, I mean, the ring bearer, there was no problem there. But the problem was one of the bridesmaids thought it would be a fun game to hide the car keys. So when it came time for the getaway, uh, you know, Elisa said, I can't find my keys anywhere. So I started interviewing some, and I found out who had done that. So anyway, one of the last weddings I did, we're all set. I mean, the groom and I are standing down here. Everybody's standing, and it's really cool. The only problem is there's no bride. And so uh, we couldn't have the wedding yet without the bride, but she did show up. I remember another time I was standing here, and I didn't count on it, but I was standing. The couple was in front of me, and uh, there was a photographer, and he kept going around us completely, taking pictures like this. He would get between us and the congregation. He'd be behind my head. He'd be looking over the bride's shoulder, and I was thinking, I need to talk to him about that when this is over. But anyway, all kind of things can happen. Another thing that happened when us, we got married, Jody and I, our uh, air conditioner went out here at First Baptist Columbus. And so our groomsmen had shorts on during the reception. I'm like, guys, we're taking pictures. They're saying, we're hot. You know, so anyway, it's just a lot of stuff can happen. One other quickie I remember was when Buddy Brent's uh, daughter asked me to marry her, Ashley. It was such a special time, and Shane and I were standing here, and I said, when your bride walks through that door, it'll be so breathtaking. I said, it, it'll just be a moving experience, and if she's crying, you got to understand, she's waited for this all her life. So whenever she comes through the door, Shane looks back there, and I see his shoulders beginning to kind of do this number, and I look, and he's just sobbing, and I thought, oh boy, we got the wrong one crying. As Ashley gets closer, I notice Ashley is laughing. I mean, she's just flat out laughing, and she can't hardly stand it. And then I look, and Buddy, the father of the bride, he's crying. I mean, it's just like waterworks. And I'm thinking, this is not what I thought would happen. I remember when their son, Adam, got married, I was invited to go to the wedding over in Houston. I did not perform it, but whoever did, he forgot one thing. He forgot to lead them through the vows. 
So afterwards, Melody Brent says to me in the reception, she says, does it even count if they don't exchange vowels? And I said, I think it does, whatever he said, I pronounce you now, man and wife. But anyway, it was kind of a, an interesting thing. But what was the setting whenever Jesus was talking about marriage? I think the setting was distortion. Look at it closely in verses one through three. You see the atmosphere, the milieu surrounding the distortion was, people were hearing the word. This was exciting. God was moving. Crowds were following. People were being healed. This was a good thing. You know, sometimes whenever times are really, really good, you might want to be extra careful about marriage, that something doesn't slip in there to distort marriage. But beneath all of those good things, someone was being motivated for something that was not so good. The Pharisees came up, and what does it say that they were trying to do? It says they came up to Jesus and tested him. They were testing him. They wanted to discredit him. They didn't want to learn anything about marriage. They actually just wanted to test him. They wanted to get him drawn into a controversy that was raging throughout Israel during that time. And that's why I think there's also a misinterpretation or a misconception within the, the uh, distortion. And here's what it was. Listen carefully to their question and you'll catch it at the end. Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? You get that? Let that sink in for a minute. For any cause? Well, during that time, there was a big division in the country, conservatives and liberals. Conservatives were saying, there's only really one biblical reason that people can be divorced, and it's sexual immorality. But there was another group that was led by a rabbi named Hillel. So Shammai was the one that led the other group. Hillel led the other group, the liberal group. And the liberal group said, no, anything that dissatisfies the husband is grounds for divorce. Can you see how that would not be what God would want? That just any old thing can be a good reason. Well, when Jesus responds, you know what he responds with? Verses four and five, it's scene two. It's always best to go back to the owner's manual, back to the one who designed things, if there's something that you can't figure out. Listen to what he says. He answered and said, have you not read? Let's just pause right there. Have you not read? Isn't it neat that he didn't ask you and me to guess about marriage? He actually had it all written down. The Bible has 66 books. You would be surprised how much is written about marriage, about parenting, about you know kids or, or mom and dad, about a husband, about a wife. How much is written across the gambit of those 66 books? In Proverbs, it's filled with different things about it. Ephesians and Colossians. You can find love stories in the Bible, like in the book of Ruth and so forth. There are so many different opportunities to learn that all in this compilation regarding God's design. But notice what happens next. Jesus said, have you not read, and what did he point them to first? That he who created them from the beginning made them male and female. Let's pause again. So before he instituted marriage, he creates, he makes. And what does it say he made? He made a man and he made a woman. He made a man and he made a woman, and he didn't make them the same. And so it's so interesting how there was creation before his design, 
But then when he did design marriage, who did he say should be in the marriage? Well, we can see the composition within his design in verse 5. It's very easy. Jesus doesn't make it complicated. Here's what he says. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. It's beautiful. If you've ever seen it, when it works right, it's so beautiful. That's the way that God says a marriage should be. One man, one woman, they join together, they become one. But notice what happens, though. Whenever a, a man and a woman are married, something contracts. There's a contraction. It's natural in his design. What is it that contracts? One family unit is just now started. Another family unit just lost two different individuals, right? Two different families lost one family member in their unit. Let's read it again. Therefore, a man shall leave. A man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. You would be surprised how often that that right there can be a snag. When a husband and a wife are still holding on to a father or a mother, and they're still number one in their heart, and now they're in a new relationship, and whenever it comes, who are we going to listen to? It can be so traumatic and stressful in a marriage. But there's a natural contraction that happens within his design, but there's also this incredible consolidation, of course, when he says the two shall become one flesh. So I want to quickly go to scene three, because Jesus next moves not to the Pharisees' trap regarding divorce, but to the intended duration. It's like they want to talk about divorce, but you know what Jesus wanted to talk about? Marriage. He wanted to talk about marriage. And so watch out whenever people want to talk a lot about divorce, but they never want to talk about marriage because Jesus' emphasis was on marriage. And what he wanted to emphasize was the duration of marriage. You know what we say whenever we get married? Until death do us part. And so let's look at this and see what we can learn here. You know, when a couple is married, the, the husband and the wife, they do something very unique. But then also God does something very unique. You notice uh, that it says God joins together. God joins together. But in verse 5, it says that the uh, the husband, the man, shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. Hold fast to his wife. The unique thing that a man and a woman do when they get married is they hold fast. You know what that Greek word is there? It's the word kola that comes from glue. And so it means to glue together, to cement, to join firmly together. But then in verse 6, you see that even God gets involved. It says, so they're no longer two, but one flesh. And what therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And so that word joined together there is a different Greek word. It's sunexusen. And it means to yoke together. It means to put two people in the same harness. They join together. So if someone hears God's word, we have a choice, don't we? We can either accept it and receive it, or we can resist it. And so watch what the Pharisees do whenever Jesus is talking about the duration of marriage. They resist. They said to him, why then 
did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? Why did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? You see, if you, if you don't receive what God wants, part of resisting leads to twisting. And so you can begin to twist what God's word clearly says, and that's what was happening. They were saying, oh, really? Well, that's interesting because in the Old Testament, Moses commanded people to be divorced. And then Jesus comes back and he says, you know what? Because of your hardness of heart, Moses not commanded. Moses allowed. Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. And so Jesus clarifies this is a concession based on regression. You see, they were taking Deuteronomy 24, verses 1 through 4, and they were trying to justify anything. You know, even if the wife burned the husband's supper, that's enough. That's grounds. If the husband was displeased, he could put her away and write a divorce. So Jesus pushes beyond Moses. Listen to what he does. He pushes beyond Moses, and he says, from the beginning, it was not so. You see, God's, what he's trying to do is to keep the focus on marriage. And what he's saying is marriage was intended to go for a lifetime. It's a lifelong commitment. So let's go to scene four. Having emphasized God's original intention for marriage, Jesus gives one possible exception. I like the way David Platt talks about how an authentic biblical community like us, we should be nurturing. We should be a caring, nurturing place. He said we should comfort one another with love. But then he also says, to balance that, not only should we comfort one another with love, we should also confront one another with truth. That's balance. Speak the truth, but you always speak it in love. You see, a marriage covenant is built on trust. But sexual immorality, the Greek word here is pornea, it destroys the bridge of trust. And so it's like, how can I trust you without this uh, commitment, this fidelity being true in our relationship? Scripture over and over warns us of what can happen if someone gives in to temptations to sexual immorality. I want to read a passage to you, for example, in Proverbs. In Proverbs chapter 7. I'll be right back to this passage here, but in Proverbs chapter 7, verses 18 to 27, this is the kind of things that the Pharisees had heard. They knew this. Others back then knew this. We know this. But in Proverbs 7, verse, um, let's start with verse 19, or no, let's go with 18. Come, let us take our feel of love till morning. Who's talking here to who? Let us delight ourselves with love. You're about to find out. Verse 19. For my husband is not at home. He has gone on a long journey. He took a bag of money with him. At full moon, he will come home. With much seductive speech, she persuades him. With her smooth talk, she compels him. All at once, he follows her. Bad mistake. Listen to this. As an ox goes to the slaughter, or as a stag is caught fast, till an arrow pierces its liver, as a bird rushes into a snare, he does not know that will cost him his life. And now, O oh sons, listen to me. 
Be attentive to the words of my mouth. Let not your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths, for many a victim has she laid low, and all her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is the way to Sheol, going down to the chambers of death. You see what God's word is trying to do? He's trying to say this is not what God intended. This is not what God intended. And so God provides this way out if your heart has been wounded. But notice that it's not a command, it's just a possible option. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. That's what it says. Jesus said that in Matthew 19 and verse 19. You see, God's view of the sanctity of marriage is so high. He's saying it's worth it to stay committed. And so what he's trying to do, really, is prevent more hurt and more hurt in this broken world of pain and heartache and sin and so forth. And so I don't think that he's promoting divorce. I think he's permitting it, but it doesn't have to happen. Some people are looking for a reason like those Pharisees at the beginning rather than longing for reconciliation. So I want to go to the closing scene, scene five, because in this scene, I think the camera, the biblical lens shifts from public teaching to the Pharisees to private training of the disciples. And that's where we are, right? We're following Christ. We want to honor him and follow him and obey him in our lives, in our marriages even. So here's what happens. Look at who says this, not Pharisees. Jesus is not talking to the Pharisees. He's talking to the disciples. The disciples have a comment, and here's what they said. If such is the case of a man with his wife, it's better not to marry. Can you see? I mean, it's like he knocked the wind out of them, and they're saying, if it's a lifelong commitment like that, and the only way to get out of a marriage is, you know, because your spouse commits sexual immorality, then it's better not to even do it, right? And I think that what's happening, they were stunned. They were stunned that Jesus held marriage up and said it's worth a lifelong commitment. It's worth it to stay committed for your whole entire life. And I think they were so stunned by that. But listen to how Jesus responds in verse 11. But he said to them, not everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it is given. You guys are talking about singleness and choosing singleness for the rest of your life. That happens, Jesus was admitting. But it's, it happens for those that God calls them to that. God gifts them toward that. Others cannot do it. And so they were stunned by the lifelong commitment in marriage but Jesus says, listen, you'll have to be gifted for a lifelong commitment without it. And so that was one thing that stood out to me in verse 11. But as you move into verse 12, that final verse, there's a few things I want to say about this verse. Verse 12 says, for there are eunuchs who have been so from birth. So there's some people, maybe because of some disability, something that's with mental or physical, I don't understand what he's talking about there, but it's something when they're born, they're never going to marry. They're not capable of being married. But then you go beyond there, and he says there are others who are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men. Maybe not today, but in years gone by, back in ancient times, 
Men would be castrated if they were going to be around all the princesses and so forth. And so if they were going to guard their tent, they made sure these men were not a threat. But then it says there are eunuchs who have, who have made themselves eunuchs. Why? For the sake of the kingdom. For the sake of the kingdom of heaven. And I thought to myself, wow. Some people like Lottie Moon, you know, in December we always have an offering for the international missionaries. And, and we name it after Lottie Moon. She was a missionary to China. She never married. She always felt like, I'm going to spend my whole entire life in missions and telling people the good news about Christ. But for the sake of the kingdom, some choose to make this their way of life. So they choose commitment without marriage. But either way you go, I think what Jesus says at the end, I see it more and more in America right now. He says, let the one who is able to receive this, receive it. Not everyone agrees with what the Bible says about marriage and about creation and so forth. But I want you to know it's the best way because he's the maker. So I want to close with one last thing. It's not found here in Matthew 19. It's actually found in another one of the Gospels. But if you look in Matthew 19 in verse 2, there's something I didn't bring out earlier. Whenever those large crowds were following Jesus, you know why they followed him? I think they followed him because he, he healed their hearts. He healed their hearts. Before Jesus came, sin had wrecked so much destruction on people's lives. And so one day Jesus sits down at a well. And there's this woman, a Samaritan woman. He was a Jewish man. Usually they had nothing to do with one another. But he sits down there beside this woman. And he begins to tell her about living water. And I believe that that woman, she showed up there and she was so incredibly thirsty. I believe she went to that well. She was thirsty for love. She was thirsty for forgiveness. She was thirsty for hope. She was thirsty for truth. And one of the things that Jesus already knew, just like he knows your story, he knows your pain, he knows everything you've already been through in your life. So does he want to get rid of you? Does he want to ask you to leave? No, he invites you to come. He invites you to come. You see, because really all of us have sinned. And so what I want to do is I want to introduce you to this healer of broken hearts. Jesus sat right there and said to that woman, you know, woman, I know you've been through five marriages that didn't work out. And I know that right now you're actually living with a man and you're not even married to him. Between the lines, I wonder if the issue was she had been hurt so much. She said, I'm giving up on marriage. It doesn't even work anymore for me. But Jesus looked at her, and she was so, so thirsty. And he says, everyone who drinks of this water here at this well, they'll be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. You know what she said? I love the simplicity of how the word of God just puts it right out there. She says to Jesus, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty. I'm looking for real love. I am looking for peace about my past. I'm looking for, for forgiveness for all my bad choices that I've made in my life. Isn't it interesting that after that, Jesus never even talked about those divorces, about the man she was living with. He talked about that, that living water that could change that lady's life. She was changed so much 
she went back into that city and she said, come see a man who told me everything I've ever done. I think the thing that amazed her was acceptance, acceptance and love and forgiveness and a chance for a new start. She found hope that day. Maybe that's where you are. Maybe when I've been preaching about this message, you've been fighting with it, fighting with it. Don't fight it. Allow God's truth to minister. Jesus wants to heal your heart. 